2: Swing. Fun episode today on the call up. We have a mailbag where we're going to be answering a handful of your questions. And then we are going to be talking 2023 Bowman Draft. Jack and I are going to be drafting ourselves our top autographs that we want to chase in this product as it is set to release in a couple of weeks. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And We've been excited to dive into Bowman drafts, So I'm pumped about that, Jack. We're going to be doing some redrafts as well. We didn't want to do just too much draft in one episode and confuse people. And we've also been overdue for a mailbag. And I feel like it's the perfect time to do it because things are about to get crazy. You know, we're going to be chasing our own tail, trying to recap all of the prospects getting traded soon enough with the winter meetings coming around. So I thought this was the perfect time to answer questions that were asked on our Twitter page. And We got some good ones.
1: Yeah, we got some great ones. Um, Just fair warning, the first 20 minutes of the show are going to be dedicated to Sebi Zavala's long-term value because he was the minor league caliber guy traded in the Eugenio Suarez deal. Sebi Zavala, 32-year-old, I want to say. I've watched him play more than I'd like to admit. Uh, We're not doing Sebi Zavala. I'm very excited for this one. Some
2: great questions in the mailbag. Hey, Carlos Vargas, you're, you're really not giving my dude enough credit. One hundred mile an hour fastball and six walks per nine. So um, yeah, that was a a fun trade. (laughs) I'm looking forward to more exciting trades uh, coming forward here in in the next couple of days and, and in the next week or so. But Those who asked us the questions, thank you so much. Usually we'll try to give a little bit more notice. This was kind of a last minute thing. And and normally we'll try to answer a few more questions. But because of this Bowman Tops related segment, uh, we wanted to give that a little bit extra time, too, because it's a really fun way to one, talk about the product and two highlight some of those players that have autographs in that product that will be coming out in a few weeks. So we'll start with the first question, Jack, because uh, I thought that this was a great opener and a great primer to the rest of the conversations that we're going to have. And I think this is something that um, you could go a bunch of different directions because this seems to be something that happens every single year. And the question is which low regarded minor league system can surprise in 2024. We're going to answer a question of who did surprise us last year. That's going to be at the end. So kind of doing like a full circle here, but that comes from Michael Barrill. I hope I said that right uh, on Twitter. It's a good question because there's a few different systems that could surprise. It, and then there's probably one or two that we won't even mention that end up being pleasant surprises. And we're like, wow. Uh, but I think the one team that we have the the common ground on here is the Blue Jays. And, and there's a few reasons why I think the Blue Jays can kind of make that leap. Jack, I'll give it to you first and then I'll just try to like fill in the the. The dots, I guess, or 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 just kind of fill in any blanks because you did say Blue Jays first before we hit record. uh, And I can probably nerd out about, you know, a couple little between the margins types of players that, you know, we might not get to. But why do you think the Blue Jays can be a pleasant surprise in 2024 uh, farm system wise?
1: Yeah. So the way that I kind of look at this is is layered and it it really consists of two major layers. And then I guess I'm filling if you want. But I look at guys that can make their major league debut or have their first full taste in the major leagues and show that they were good prospects or underrated prospects in 23 with a good first big league cameo in 24. The other layer is. The lower level guys, the recent draftees, the recent international signings that do make, you know, their their first great impression mm-hmm. in full season minor league ball. So that's the way that I kind of look at it. And the way that I see Toronto is 2024 will be the first big league taste for Ricky Tiedemann, Arabus Martinez, probably Addison Barger, and our guy Damiano Palmagani, who I think is going to impress more than people expect. The other layer is you get your first taste of Arjun Damala. Hopefully you get your first full season of a healthy Brandon Barrera. They were very careful with him. He was dealing with a couple of flare-ups. I think it was a shoulder, then it was an elbow. They said, screw it, we're done with that. Um, also, your first full season look at, at the two pitchers that they took this year, and Landon Marutus and Jerron Watts-Brown. I'm fascinated by both those guys. Mm-hmm. I thought they kicked ass in the draft. So the lower-level, full season, first full-season debuts – are are fascinating to me and i think that Arelvis is going to be a good big leaguer i think the titaman will will come with the intrigue and he's going to be a good big leaguer and pomazani man pomazani if, if he gets 100 games in the major leagues i don't know if he will let's say he gets 70 games in the major leagues if he gets 70 games i think he hits 10 to 15 home runs
2: yeah i i think you hit the nail on the head here because there's so many different ways where I think certain players in this system can elevate their status. And that's basically what it boils down to, right? Elevating your prospect status, whether it's through performing at the lower levels and asserting yourself as a 50 to 55 future value guy, or asserting your dominance at the big league level. And as you mentioned, there's guys, I think there's almost, this is a very, I don't want to say polarizing, but I mean, in terms of of where guys are at in their development, it is kind of all the way on one side and all the way on the other in terms of you have a bunch of guys knocking on the door of a big league debut and then you have a bunch of guys at the lower levels who we haven't really seen much of yet and then there's not a lot in between there's not a lot of high a double a guys that you know have had a, a nice season or two under their belt uh that you know we're we're looking to see if they can keep building on that so that kind of adds to the volatility of a system and i think people are are somewhat lower on the system and understandably so because martinez is Almost one of the the top names that you could highlight as as a prospect fatigue guy, but we've talked about the adjustments that he's made in the box that have made him a much better hitter and, and a guy that I actually think is going to be a contributor for them next year, potentially at the hot corner, still just 22 years old. And then Ricky Tiedemann. We just talked a couple episodes ago about how important that AFL stint was for him because it wasn't just about going out there and having success. We know the stuff's going to play. It's about going out there, throwing 75 plus pitches, and then throwing again five days later and throwing 75 plus pitches and not having any pain, not seeing your stuff diminished and just being able to continuously have that starters workload. So those two guys, I think, will make a big leg impact if healthy next year. And then, you know, Namal is a guy that is a top 100 prospect for us because of the upside and and how much we think he can just kind of explode and burst onto the scene. And then Barger is somebody that when you look at the underlying data, he really does check a lot of boxes. He's battled injuries. I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody that could battle a relvis Martinez to get some reps in the infield as well, or, or potentially in a corner outfield spot too. So all of those guys really impressive in terms of, you know, what I think they can do this year. And I think you're, you're spot on with Barrera. If, if he can just be healthy, I I've seen him up to 98, you know, before the injuries, he was up to 98 in camp and things like that. So lefty with that kind of stuff, seems like he's cut from the Tiedemann cloth. So if he's healthy, uh, he could become a top 100 prospect very quickly. And then one name that I think is pretty underrated that could end up pitching some big league innings for them. And I think it just solidify himself as a really solid 50 future value type guys, Chad Dallas, right-hander, 23 years old, had a really nice season between high A and double A, uh, misses bats, fills up the zone enough. And I think that's a really solid guy as well. But I think the two that could really make this system, you know, kind of push it into the middle of the pack or even better than that are the two guys you mentioned. And, Marutis Is it Marutis? I want to I make sure it's I, Maroudis. It's Maroudis Maroudis. I think It's not Marudis. I think it's Marudis. And, and Watts Brown, both very volatile, uh, you know, high upside though. And if things click for those guys, all of a sudden you get some fun pitching in the system, a healthy Tiedemann, yeah. a healthy Barrera. And these are big ifs. but again, this is why they're going to be surprising potentially. Yeah. And then Watts Brown and Marutis with, you know, Chad Dallas as well. And whatever you get from Zulueta, all of a sudden you get some decent layering to your, your pitching situation here. So, um, I really like the Jays. Uh, at least upside here, uh, it's very volatile. There's injuries. There's uh, like we mentioned the the polarization of of where these guys are at in their development. But there's something to dream on here, and, and I think that's why this system could could definitely surprise uh, in, in certain ways. Yeah. Adam Mako also like some decent flashes. It got added to the forty. You know, he they acquired him from the Mariners. Velo is kind of eh, but he, he misses bats. That's another guy to to keep an eye on. But Is there another system before we move to the next question that you feel like could potentially surprise some folks this this coming year? Yeah. And this one has more proximity. I also don't know how
1: good the big club is going to be. I think that they are one of the more perplexing big league situations that we've got. And it was only my feelings on that front were only elevated by the Kenta Maeda signing. But Detroit. Detroit's my other one. And and I Mm. think that the upper levels are fascinating for Detroit because Mm. next year we're looking at the first fair shot in the major leagues for Colt Keith, for Justin Henry Malloy, for Parker Meadows, for Sawyer Gibson Long, probably, and for Justice Bigby. If there's space, you've got complimentary pieces there with Jace Young, who, by the way, just won a minor league gold glove at second base. Wow. um, Ty Madden, who I'm very high on, Wilmer Flores, Dylan Dangler looked good when he was healthy. Um, and in the last 365 days, hell, in the last like 100 days, they've added Max Clark to the fold. They've added McGonagall to the fold. They've added you Lee and that Lorenzen deal from Philly. And one man's trash is another man's treas- treasure in uh, Eddie Leonard. Leonard hit the shit out of the ball with Toledo after he was picked up for scraps from the Dodgers where he was really underperforming. Leonard was like eighth or ninth on the middle infield depth chart for the Dodgers. The Dodgers are the Dodgers. Detroit's an entirely different situation. So I like Leonard's ability to play meaningful big league games for the Detroit Tigers. There are just so many names that could factor in if the big club falters And, like, who's to say Ty Madden doesn't get a shot if Manning sucks again? Or if Reese Olsen has a six ERA through eight starts? There are so many different ways that I can fit all these names into the big league fold in 24. That's why
2: I kind of ID'd these guys. Dude, I I wouldn't waste that many Jackson Joe bullets in in the minor Mm -hmm. leagues either. If if he's filling up the zone in in double A and and potentially triple A, Let, let him finish his development at the big league level, especially if your rotation's not filled out. We were talking about that on the just baseball show. Like, you know, it might be filled out. We'll see. But if you have some guys go down, Mize, you know, isn't quite back or has a flare up. You you don't know what's happening with, with Madden or whatever. If they want to bring up Job, I think he can hold his own there and, and potentially really impress. So that's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised to see, get some action next year. And then, Kevin McConaughey was a top 100 prospect for us. He really showed out uh, in his pro debut, and, and I love the bat there. And then Howie Lee, who we've talked about as I think somebody that is very overlooked and underrated. And and in that trade, there's a reason why I think the Tigers ID'd him in that Lorenzen deal. And a guy can swing it. I saw a little bit in the AFL, and and I liked what I saw. So this is a fun system. Honestly, kind of overlooked it as an option for this question because in my mind, I already look at the system as pretty solid. But I, I think to to your credit. I don't think a lot of people see the system that way. So it is a good answer to this question. But almost with my preconceived notions, I didn't even really think about them as, as an option, because to me, this is a really solid system. Right. What do you
1: think of Leonard's big league abilities? Like, do you think that this guy can be a big leaguer?
2: I do. I, I just. I wish he could defend a little bit more, you know. But if, if you're sticking that guy at second or third, and at least he can play multiple positions, he hits the ball pretty hard, and and he's made some improvements in the bat-to-ball department. It was absolutely worth the flyer for that for him yeah. or for them, I should say, the Tigers. And yeah. um, he's going to get a lot of looks this year. I do. I do think that. And and if if he can hit, I mean, I think he'll stick around. The approach was the last time I checked in. The approach was the challenge, but. Yeah. He's young. Like yeah, another guy that I think people assume is way older than he is because he climbs quickly. Uh just turned and, 23. Yeah. My I, thing I is think he could Dodgers, definitely be a piece.
1: My thing is the Dodgers probably looked at him and Yorbit Vivas is like the Spider-Man meme. Like you guys are the same. Which one do we want moving forward? And they ID'd Vivas. I think yeah, they made yeah. the
2: right decision. Yes.
1: That doesn't mean both can't be good.
2: No, no. And, and I think the, the defense probably made made it ultimately the easier decision. And and they realized, like, hey, he might get rule five, to, you know, if if we don't if we keep waiting and and don't try to cash them in for something or, or you know, move on. So I think that's kind of where they ended up settling in. Uh, the last thing is Wilmer Flores. I think he could move to a reliever role, especially mm-hmm. now with the pitching depth that they have. And if Wilmer moves to a reliever role, I think he could be a really good one uh, with that breaking ball. It's just disgusting. And I think I think for him, the fastball ticks up out of the bullpen. He could be a really solid high leverage reliever for them. And I think that actually enhances his value to a degree. So it'll be interesting to see how they decide to handle um, Wilmer Flores this coming season. Next question. This kind of ties into what what we're just talking about. I know there's a time add and tie in here, but this comes from Alex, who's just lions on Twitter, been a long time uh, listener and, and always a guy that I like to get into the mailbag. I I think he's got, he's got to have like a four mailbag streak here. I just, I'm just always going to try to fit a uh, Alex question in, but of course it's a little bit Mariner slanted, but leaves us open-ended to anything. Who is this year's Bryce Miller slash Brian Wu who can kind of come out of nowhere and become major league quality arms? So this was a a hard question because, and and I don't want to like toot our own horn too much, but it was hard for us to like fully interpret when we were talking pre-record because we did have Bryce Miller on the top 100 ahead of last year. And we did have Brian will on the top 100 ahead of last year. So, and again, like I'm not saying that to just be like, Hey, like we told you so I'm saying, it cause it's like they were on our radar. So their performance while, you know, it was impressive and exciting and maybe even exceeded our expectations to a degree. I had mid rotation upside on both of those guys. And, and that's what, where we had them when we talked about them, you know, going into the season. So, Those guys I know were a surprise to like the larger baseball community, Um, but I guess we have to try to zoom out here to who who are the guys that are pretty much consensus outside of the top 100 that could be factors here. And I don't think that there's a guy in our top 100 pitching wise, uh, at least at this moment, that is on ours and is on nobody else's and, and can impress the way Miller and Wu were. So uh, I think it kind of just sets us up to look outside uh, and and try to find some either players with some prospect fatigue that people may have already kind of looked past and, and, you know, give the depth arm grade to, uh, or, or guys that I think people just may not realize can make an impact as soon as next year. So with that lead in uh, the, the floor is yours, Jack. Yeah. So
1: my guy's Madden Um, and Madden is not a data darling like Miller and Wu are. That's the thing. It's hard for me to kind of identify the data darling. But I will say there are so many questions when it comes to the the Detroit Tigers rotation. Like, hey, how's mine going to look? How's Manning going to look? How's Reese Olsen going to look? Shit, dude, how are Scooble and Maeda going to stay healthy? Like, There's a question with each of the five. So then the first one you go to is Job. If we said Job, that's doing a disservice because he's a top you know, 30, 40 prospect. Madden is outside the top 100. But Ty Madden checks the boxes that I look for. K rate has gone up from college to the pro ball. Walk rate has gone down from college to pro ball. He's sporting a 3-2 ERA in 240 minor league innings. He's figuring out ways to get outs. This last year in Erie, he threw a ton of innings. 118 innings in double A is a lot. Punched out 11 per nine, walked fewer than four per nine. I'm in on that, man. And like, those are the kind of guys that that I shove out there and I'm not worried. If Fayeto was healthy, I think this is a very similar conversation to what we would have had with Alex Fayeto. I was expecting that got to be a safe option, or safe option for them. He clearly wasn't healthy enough to be a safe option for them. Yeah. But if Madden can stay healthy, I think this guy is, you know, one of those that slows the heart rate when shit hits the fan in the Tigers rotation.
2: Yeah. And, you know, what's really interesting about Madden is there's a few things here. Um, one, I think the consistency side of it's really important. Is he going to have the the low three ZRA or a rookie. Probably not. Uh, but if he's a high threes, low fours and throwing every fifth day and compiles innings, I think that's something that's very, very attainable, especially in Camerica. But you know, the fastball it's not dead zone, but it's also, you mentioned not, not a data darling guy. Like it's also not really anything great. when you look at the shape, the release height extension, all of those things, it's kind of run of the mill in some ways, but again, has more life than, you know, a dead zone type of fastball where he's made some gains and continues to make gains is, is in the velocity department. It's pretty low effort. And, and he saw a tick up going into last year and then his velocity increased as the season went on. And over his last 10 starts, he was averaging 96 miles an hour with his fastball. Whereas he was 95, 94 and, and change in the first half of the season. So, so the fastball velocity tick up, we saw the command of it improve. So, I mean, you have even slightly average or slightly above average shape, but you're able to locate and the velocity's up. And that's at least an average or slightly above average fastball. Now I think it's closer to a 55. Uh, that helps a lot. And then his slider has always been good for him. So now working off of that, the slider, the slider was playing really well, and the slider ticked up. So that pitch now at 85 was playing even better. Um, so I think that was another side of it. And then started to find a, a better feel for the changeup, and, and I think that was big. And then mixes in a curveball and a cutter from what I've been told about time Madden, he's one of the more cerebral pitchers you're going to find too. And, and I love that when you have a guy that's, you know, maybe not going to jump out, you know, with, with the stuff, it's good. And I, you're sitting 96 with a fastball, like that's going to play. Uh, but when, when you don't have the three above average pitches or, you know, a slew of, of just wipe out pitches, I love a cerebral pitcher who's always looking on how to sequence and, and how to just make his stuff as effective as possible. And between the fastball slider and change with the two taste breakers and the curve and cutter, I think he can just kind of you always talk about like massaging your way through lineups. I think he can do yeah. that. And when he's on, he'll, he'll get his strikeouts. I think he can have those seven, eight, nine strikeout games when he's really on. But I also think he's going to be able to give you those five, six innings, three runs, you know, one or two walks and five K's. And you're like, we'll take that every fifth inning. And,
1: and I'll tell you right now, Detroit's going to need those by late May. I That's almost a sure thing because there's a question surrounding each of the five in the opening day rotation.
2: Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you on that. And, and for me, that my answer is is Mason Black. And we talked about him recently, San Francisco Giants prospect, who I, I was really high on once we dove deeper into that system. And I started to look at some of the pitch shapes and just the uniqueness of kind of what he has going for him. I think he's a really fun arm. He gets a little bit more extension than a time add. And but I think what really stands out is. That low release point. I mean, he's releasing from about a four seam fastball or two seam. He's got two variations of it from a 5.4 uh, you know, foot release height, which is which is pretty low with the carry and the horizontal run that he gets. And it's kind of out to the side. It's slingshotty. We talked about how to kind of just hiding the ball and it getting in on hitters really quickly. He's just an uncomfortable at bat and. That's what made Brian Liu and Bryce Miller guys that could make the leap straight from double A with you know limited track record and have this success was hitters just couldn't really calibrate the fastball. And I think that's what what Mason Black's going to be able to do. He throws his fastball a ton and opponents hit you know below the Mendoza line against it. And he was able to either blow by you at 94, 95 uh, with the four seamer or get you to roll over on weak contact with the sinker. It's slingshot release point, kind of uh, hard to pick up. I think that funkiness can make him a really solid pitcher uh, going into next year for the giants who will probably need him too. And then that slider is is just nasty as well. But this is a guy that I just feel like can get away with a high level of, of uh, fastball dependency because of the deception, because of the release site, because of the shape to his pitches and the late movement. And I'm expecting him to give some big leaguers some uncomfortable at-bats. Um,
1: all right, bonus points. If you can name the conference and the team name for Lehigh. Mason Black, 25-year-old from Lehigh? He's going to turn... No, he's going to turn 24 on December 10th.
2: Lehigh, they're in the... CJ McCollum Uh, oh they're in the Patriot League they're in the Patriot League and they're the Lehigh I want to say like Iron Picks because of Lehigh Valley right um mm, Lehigh I'm gonna be mad when you tell me because I had a friend that pitched there pitched with Mason Black for Uh, my life I couldn't tell you this team name okay what is it the Mountain Hawks yeah no no okay I'm not mad at all I had no idea I'm good you got some bonus points with the Patriot League yeah that's funny. Uh, I saw a black throwing Brewster Brewster uh, on the Cape and it's you know, just nice. one of those guys where, you know, the setup in Brewster, you're sitting kind of up against the, the fence there. Uh, and, and most of the places on the Cape, it's like that when you're, when you're broadcasting on the road, but yep. just, just one of those pop of the glove type guys where you just hear the ball whizzing in and, and, and pop of the glove. And I, I saw a starting pitcher, you know, you see the college from Lehigh. I'm like, all right, this guy's either going to be mediocre or really unique. And he was really unique. Uh, And fast forward, he's going to be throwing big league innings this this coming season. Anybody else for you uh, that, that you uh, kind of wanted to highlight real quick? Not
1: really. It was, it was kind of a tough one for me to wrap my brain around probably because I'm stupid or tired. I think it's a combination of both. Um, But I, I don't know. I also kind of interpreted this Question as hey, who can rise when we really don't know who they are, Um, because the consensus, you know, baseball world, the common baseball fan did not know who Bryce Miller or Brian Wu was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went to I went to Peyton Paulette with the White Sox. I think if this guy's healthy and can throw strikes, it's ninety nine from a small athletic human being. Mm -hmm. And that can shoot him up like a rocket ship for a team that's going to need
2: pitching so badly. No doubt. I had a name that I told you before we hit record and I already forgot. Did you it was listen? black? And it was, come on. Do you ever listen to me? This is the test. I do. I do. Okay. Who was it? I'm blanking. Yeah. I'm blanking too. If it comes back to me, we'll circle back. <laughs> Sorry, Jack yeah. and I are just cooked right now. Um, we'll circle back. Cause there was another name that I did like, and, and we'll discuss that. But another question from Caleb Sanders, at up next, MILB. Great, great Twitter. Your ex username, by the way. Who has the higher ceiling, AJ Smith Shaver or Hurston Waldrop, Of course, pair of Braves prospects. We've talked about Smith Shaver, and, and I feel like both Smith Shaver and Von Grissom have just been. Victims of circumstance and I don't I don't want to say victims because they, they got their clock started early and uh, I, I think they're very happy and I actually applaud the Braves for approaching it that way uh, and, and allowing them to to potentially help them at the big league level Why, where I say victim is where the prospect community starts to look at these guys because Smith Chauver just turned 21 years old a week ago and now because he's graduated from the prospect ranks and uh, also you know struggled a little bit in AAA and then in the big leagues were like struggling to figure out where this guy lines up in the prospect world. I don't think it's that difficult because think about it from this lens. If if Smith Shaver had a traditional path up through the minor leagues, look at how good he was at the lower levels before they started fast tracking him. He was so good that they said, Oh shit, but this guy can maybe help us now. Um, And and the fact that he did, but also, you know, had natural growing pains as a 20 20 year old right-hander pitching for one of the best teams in baseball, if not the best, I think it's almost caused us to to lose perspective on on who he is as a player and, and where he's at, because we're almost pitting him against himself. I saw somebody respond to me on Twitter that that Von Grissom's a quadruple A guy. And I'm like, no, Ooh, the way no. he's been handled is synonymous with how triple A guys are handled but that's because he skipped through the minor leagues and then got up to the big leagues immediately. And then they had a better option in terms of shortstop defensive ability in Orlando Arcia. So Grissom was kind of cotton flux. There's a difference between cotton flux and a quadruple A guy, a, a 22 year old can't be a quadruple A guy. And AJ Smith Chauver is kind of the same thing here. Right. But even more talented in terms of y- you can't use the struggles at the upper levels against him. And even if you're not consciously doing that, it's, it's hard to, see those numbers and value him the same way as a guy that's dominating in low A and high A, but you should, or if anything, you should almost value him more uh, because it's really impressive what he was able to do last year.
1: Yeah. I remembered your guy. It was McDermott in Baltimore. Mm. McDermott. We'll circle back to that I, after this. I promise I listen. Um, Yeah. This was a really hard one because I I immediately wanted to say, oh, smith Shaver and I'm not thinking twice about it. But then I thought twice about it, and then I thought a third <laughs> time about it, and then maybe a fourth time, too. Because, you know, Walter, like, we've got concerns, surely. But that fastball being high 90s, that splitter's disgusting. It, it's hard for me to discount that guy and say, oh, yeah, he's totally inferior to, to Smith-Chauver. Do I side with the athleticism of Smith Shaver and the fastball breaking ball combo, as opposed to the fastball splitter combo. I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. But man, there's something to be really excited about with Waldrop. And I, I, I'm just not sure that I can cast him aside and I would toss and turn a little bit. If I was in Alex Anthopoulos's spot right now, where it was, Hey, you've got the chance to go get Dylan C. So you got to give me one of AJ Smith Shaver or Waldrop. I'm like, mm, like I side Waldrop, but mm, yeah. he could be awesome. This was a great question that I don't have a firm answer to, and I can be convinced any which way.
2: Yeah. So to kind of, you know, I set the scene with Smith Shaver and now setting the scene with Waldrop, uh, we know how kind of polarizing his. A season was, and just kind of his prospect status was. Some willing to tab him as you are know, the best arm in the draft, not named Paul Skeens. Others saying eh, I, I have a third round grade on him, and and then most being somewhere in between. I think what we saw is that he's you know closer to one of the best arms in, in that draft class already, and the fact that he finished the year in AAA is a testament to that. Uh, I mean, the guy just with the fastball splitter alone can can turn over a lineup once and you know go three four innings and and dominate. And he did that. We saw him do that through the minor leagues and even turned in a, a solid AAA debut. The one outing we saw of him up there against Durham, where he went four and a third shut out, walk three, struck out five. We had outings of, I, I think if you look at the, the, the college game log, 13 K's, 14 K's, 10, 10, 12, 13, 12, those aren't consecutively, but those are some of the most impressive outputs that we saw right. from him in the swing and miss department. But how about these walk numbers? Six, six, four, four, six, four. Like there, there's there's a lot of those too. So that that's my concern, but we're not talking here about you know, who is the, I guess, higher floor prospects. The, the question was higher ceiling, right? Waldrop has the best pitch of, of the two of them, right? If you look at each individual pitch, Neither or, or AJ smith doesn't have a better pitch than Waldrip splitter. Not a lot of pitchers in the minor leagues have a better pitch than Waldrip splitter. My concern is we don't really have a reliable breaking ball from, from Waldrop at this, at this point, you know, we're still kind of waiting on that. Um, and beyond that, the fastball is just confusing because part of me says, okay, I, I get it. Like the fastball kind of has to be this straight over the top heater. It's a 6.4 foot release height, by the way, which is really high for a four seamer. And that's why it was kind of hit hard in college at times. But at the same point, it's also part of the reason why the splitter plays so well. It's this straight over the top, almost iron like type of release that makes it really hard to differentiate from the splitter until it's too late. So that makes the splitter really good, but it also makes his fastball worse. So it's this, it's this challenge. And I also think it's really hard to, to, to supinate from that iron mic type of release. So he's kind of struggling to balance the. I guess the strengths and the weaknesses of that release point. And, and that's where my concern is. I, I personally think Smith Shaver has the higher ceiling just because I could see a three, maybe four pitch mix. That's all above average and his yeah. just field of pitch is better. And even though I love the splitter and I think that pitch can really make him unhittable through spurts. Yeah. But Shaver is going to be able to turn the lineup over a second, third time. And I don't know if, if Waldrip can do that. So it's kind of depending on what you see as a high ceiling though, too, right? Cause you might get more swing and miss with Waldrip, but I think you're going to get more innings and more reliability. And at the end of the season, a better chance at 180 innings of three ERA baseball, which to me is more valuable. So um, yes. I think Smith Shaver has the higher ceiling in terms of being starting everything you want out of a starting pitcher,
1: yes. Um, I think Waldrop, His hundredth percentile, Waldrop's, is a two. His seventieth yeah. is a closer and a good one. Mm-hmm. Smith Chauver's a hundredth percentile is a two. His seventieth percentile is a three, probably. Yeah, yeah, like a three, three, like three, four. Yeah, so. I I'm willing to side with the three I'd prefer a three over a closer, but
2: yeah. Yeah. you know, based on the situation you may prefer a closer over a three. We'll see. Exactly. Um. But you know, and, and it's also worth noting Smith shoppers a year younger. Um, is and he that, and a that's year always younger. He's, I know they're both technically 21. Yeah. He's like a, a eight, nine months younger. Uh, <laughs> and, like that's pretty crazy. Right. Okay. And, and I think that side of it is, is intriguing as well. Um, and, and makes it kind of fascinating. Uh, wait, did it, do I have that right? No, I might not have that right. Actually. I might've. Oh no, no. I botched that. I believe they're not. Oh no, no. I think I'm right. I don't know. I'm so bad with the months and then calculating. Yeah, they are eight months apart. Okay. I did get that right. My fault. 21 two
1: seventy one, and Smith jobber just turned 21. Yeah, Smith jobber okay. was born on November 20,
2: 2002. Walter was born on March one, 2002. Welcome so, to the yeah. chaos. That was my brain there for a second. I think Waldrop, and I, the one last thing I'll say is from that release point, if he has a sinker, that would play really well. But then you have that redundancy with the splitter. Again, there's just some things to figure out. But there is a world where kind of move some things around, and maybe he does have a higher ceiling. So it's a really great question. But I'm going to go with smith Shaver if we're talking about these pitchers kind of as they are and how we're expecting them to continue to be. But yep. Again, great uh, question. All right, McDermott, revisit before we move on. Yeah. I, McDermott's a name that I feel like has some intrigue, but I think a similar level of intrigue of what Bryce Miller and some others had, you know, by the consensus in the industry going into, you know, last year, McDermott traded from the Astros to the Orioles. And it had a really strong finish to the year last year. I've talked to some hitters that faced McDermott last year, especially when things were going well uh, for him. And they said it was some of the most uncomfortable at bats that they've had as, as a pro not, not all year as a pro Uh, and and you see that when he's on, I mean, it's really not a matter of, of guys hitting him. Well, it's really just chase McDermott against himself. And you look at the Orioles situation and I assume they're going to continue to try to fill out the rotation, but if McDermott's really throwing well, there'll be a spot for him. And what I like about McDermott is you've got, A lot of life on the fastball, and a fastball that just seems to get on hitters way too quickly. They just seem to be uncomfortable. He gets some, I like some sword type swings. And it has some good carry. He'll get up to, to 20 inches of induced vertical break settles around 19 inches, but also has a, a relatively low release point for a guy that gets the extension that he gets and is as big as, as he is. And then the breaking balls, dude. I mean, that, that's what really stands out to me is when you have the breaking balls as nasty as, as he has them uh, in terms of just being able to throw an absolute wizard, like sweeper uh, at at what is it like 86 to 80 87 sometimes you know a little bit lower than that with even more sweep and then just a banger curveball both of those pitches look like the fastball out of the hand and that's the other really interesting thing is he does repeat the release point really well so you have a fastball that can play as a plus plus pitch you have a slider that can play as a plus pitch you have a curveball that flashes plus that's an arsenal that it really is all about can he just harness it a little bit and if he can harness it a little bit uh, I think he can be a middle rotation type starter. Uh, opponents hit 180 against his fastball. They hit 160 against his curveball. They hit 150 against his slider and then he mixes in a splitter sometimes. They hit 130 against that. Opponents hit 170 cumulatively against him last year. Again, it's it's about McDermott versus McDermott at this point. And the walk rate did drop as the year progressed. I'm in on him. Next question, very open-ended from Frankie at Walker underscore bets. And we got a couple questions uh, on this front. What Cubs prospects do you see getting traded? Um, I think Cubs fans will will freak out if they don't make a big splash at this point, because I'm hearing Cubs fans wanting them to to shell out money. Now I'm hearing, let's trade these prospects. I don't I don't think we can properly speculate on who is going to get traded. I think we can say who we think is least likely to get traded. Yeah. But I think it's easier to just talk about it through the lens of who would you trade? And just assume that they're probably following some sort of similar logic. I think we start with the untradables and, and make it very simple here. Cade Horton ain't going anywhere for anyone. I'm not trading. There's not a player I don't think I would trade. For 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 Kate Horton for is is there I'm not trading Kate Horton for one year Juan Soto I don't think I'm doing it How about um, how many years does Bo Bichette have Okay that'd be the one that'd be the one um, Yeah and they'd be like, to- I just I don't put my, I don't believe those rumors to be honest um, But if there is some merit to that. I would that's the one guy I would trade, uh, you know, Horton for, I think, and, because it's not just Horton straight up, right? It's Horton plus. Uh, and and I'd rather try to put together a permutation of that trade without Horton and give up more, you know, uh, like more solid pieces elsewhere. Yeah. When you have a pitching prospect that's arguably the best in the game and that's close to Big League and as athletic as Horton, um, that's probably the most untradable guy. No one's completely untradable to your point with Bichette. That's the most untradable guy. I, I, I think, would argue
1: PCA is more untradable. Really, I, I
2: would, I would rather trade PCA than Horton. Mm. Cool. Just, yeah, I, I just, I think that I mean they kind of and I know that it was unfair how quickly they rushed him and all those things, but I think they also like are seeing there's some risk to the the offensive side of the profile, and you know he's a super highly regarded prospect, but you know he's one of those guys where. You know, when we look back at top prospect lists from like eight, 10 years ago, there's a lot of players that had really solid careers, um, but you know, were ranked ahead of guys that were better than them because of the glove and the tools and the excitement. He's gonna have a good big league career, yeah. but there's a chance that he's just a two, three-win player. You know, I think he could be a perennial all-star. We've talked about that, but there's a chance he's a two, yeah. three-win player, and a lot of the value comes from the glove. Um, Horton, I just feel like a very high probability middle rotation arm and and a very decent chance of being a, a frontline type of dude. And they have some other pieces now kind of filling out the outfield. We'll see if they want to you know, go sign somebody like a Jung Huli or bring back a, a, a Bellinger. If they do that, then it's I think a no brainer that Horton's more. Yeah.
1: Yes. So my thought on that was if I felt like the Cubs were in on the Bellinger sweepstakes, Horton is the more untradeable one. But frankly, based on, the Yankee and the Giants connections to Bellinger right now, I'm not sure the Cubs are in the Bellinger sweepstakes. Yeah. And I hope I'm wrong because Bellinger's a great Cub. Um, But man, like if they're out on the Bellinger thing, I, I don't see a world where they trade PCA, especially because Hap is a gold glover in a corner. He's not going to play center. Say is, you know, in a corner, he's not going to play center. Owen Casey is a corner guy moving forward. He's not going to play center like he is. Yeah. He and Michael Harris, are the two best defensive center fielders in the game. Yeah. And, you know, like you've got a guy there that can hold that spot down for the next six years plus.
2: Yeah. No, I'm with you. And, and ultimately, I mean, PCA's top 25 prospect for us for a reason. Yeah. If he's 260 with 15 to 20 bombs, he's a four to five one player. So, I mean, and that's a very attainable stat line for him. And it might take a couple of years, even if it does take a couple of years, this Cubs offense is going to be good. We know that. And, and PCA can be their nine hitting glove first guy in center for a year or two until it all comes. Michael to Harris hit like eighth. <laughs> yeah, you're good exactly. And there's a lot of similarities to Mike. It's, and just the ball is not as good, but there's a lot of similarities to, to, to money Mike. So yeah. I, I think he's number two for me on the most untradeable. And, and if they don't bring back or go get a center fielder, then he's, it's one a one B yeah who are you definitely open to moving for me and I know that Cubs fans are going to be kind of like eh, about this because they love El El Jaguar or El Jaguar, if you want to say it properly. but Kevin Alcantara like I get it it's exciting it's tantalizing it's fun Uh, there's so much to dream on but And we saw some strides in the project department in terms of him making some major improvements. He was a big climber in our top 100 update. I'll be honest, though, went out to the AFL and look, I don't want to make a sweeping judgment on. I probably saw five games of his. He just looked rushed. The the timing was was inconsistent and the defense is is fine enough. Like, I think he could get by in center, but he's not you know, he's not a great center. field. I think he's a good one. So I think he could be better than getting by, but a lot of length, really hard to control everything. And he just looked really uncomfortable at times in the plate and like really rushed. And I just wonder if he's really ever going to be able to hit enough. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to control all of that length (laughs) to him, you know, and, and if he does, he does. But I look at Owen Casey, especially if you have PCA in center, I believe in Casey's bat more. I think offensive upside wise, it's pretty close. The only difference is Alcantara is a better athlete. Great. Okay. How much impact is he going to give you defensively? How many bags is he going to steal? Like, yes, he's more athletic, but it, it, how much more value is that giving you? I like the left-handed power bat, which you know, they don't have many of. Uh, I, I think that's a guy that I'm more likely to keep. You also know, I, I'm, I've always been Casey over Alcantara. I'm like the only person on the planet uh, that that has felt that way, but I think Alcantara is the guy I'm most open to moving. And by the way, Matt Shaw is someone that I would put it number three as like least tradable. Like I just don't want to move that guy because of how much I believe in him being able to be fast tracked. So for me, it's Alcantara uh, as probably one of the more likely to be moved. And in terms of power ranking, my, the guys I want to move the least, it probably go. What? Uh, number Horton. one, Horton PCA. Matt Shaw. Shaw, Casey yeah probably so the way that I
1: kind of did this I I had Kevin Alcantara down and yeah I I wrote a little blurb next to it. it said Kevin Alcantara you're running out of space in the outfield with PCA say uh hap you have depth in Canario Casey and eventually Morell makes that move I think um I know you like Casey more but some teams may be a bit more enticed by the dream of a realized Alcantara. So I think you can sell them on the dream of what could be to come. So Alcantara is number one on that, like, hey, you've got great value and I'm not totally tied to you. Number two on that list of, hey, you've got great value and I'm not totally tied to you is Ben Brown for me. Yeah. I I don't want people to be fooled by others in the industry putting 260 grades on a slider and a curveball because – I'm telling you, I watched several full starts of Ben Brown. I called several full starts. And there were starts where I saw 70% fastball, which was awesome. But it was 70% fastball, 30% slider. Yeah, like He's still trying to figure out what a curveball and a slider can do off the fastball. There's so much more reliever risk right now than there was in May. And I'm sure there are other teams that are looking at what he did, what his fastball is, what he flashed with the slider and the curveball, And it's like, yeah, we can make this guy a really good starting pitcher. Sell them on that. Let them have that because I'm team Wicks. I'm team. That was going to be my question is who would you rather have? I think I'd
2: rather have Wicks for the situation they find themselves in right now. Bang. That's the, that's the answer because they need somebody to give them rotational depth next season. And I, I think it's presumptive to assume that, that, Ben Brown can do that, both from a health and a pitchability standpoint. Yeah. Wicks gave him seven starts at a 4 4. Yeah. You assume he marginally gets better from that, you hope. But even if he is a 4 3, that's solid. You need guys like that. You need bodies. There's one, if, if you learn one thing from following a team for an entire year uh, that is trying to hang in the race. It's that it's a war of attrition on the pitching side. Um, So I I, I, and I feel like Wicks is a guy that you can feel pretty confident about staying healthy. A name that I think a lot of teams are going to have a ton of interest in. And I think it would be I don't want to trade him because I think he's a good player. But again, where does he fit in? James Triantos. He was just out in the AFL. It's not a coincidence that you see a lot of these AFL prospects get moved because there's scouts out there watching them a ton. I have no doubts about the the bats to ball skills of James Triantos. It's just a 70 hit tool. Um, and we've seen an uptick in the power. Uh, he's definitely become more. I've I'm he's grown on me a lot. And the AFL, you know, experience of seeing him, obviously you hit four, whatever out there, that's gonna help. But just seeing Triantos grow physically and, and add a little bit of impact is encouraging. But I don't like him at second. I don't like him at third. They're trying him in center. That might be the best spot for him, but he's not gonna be great there. He might have to play left. I don't know where he plays. And yeah. a team may be willing to find that out because he's a good bat and he's 20 years old and and all that good stuff. But I'm not letting Trianto stop me from, from getting, you know, a, a good player here or there. Same thing with Ballesteros. I know that Cubs fans love Moises Ballesteros, but 20 year old that probably isn't going to stick behind the dish. He's five, seven. <laughs> so you can put that guy first, like all of the guys that you can put together a couple questions on. I'm happy to move them. And I think that's, yeah, uh, those handful of, of players there. Um, and then maybe the one guy that I'd prefer to keep, but I'll move him because of the intrigue and how far off he is is Jackson Ferris. I love Jackson Ferris. I thought he looked really good. Left-hander, you know, mid nineties fastball, six, four, had a nice season last year, but that's a guy that on your timeline, you're okay to move. And I think some semblance of a package of Alcantara, any of, you know, a few of any of these guys, Alcantara, Ben Brown, uh, Ballesteros, Ferris, Triantos, uh, Jefferson Rojas, who I actually think is the most underrated guy in the system. I'm sure teams will have interest in or a Matt Mervis to sweeten the deal. They can they can get somebody of of note in trading that group. So they can get the guys that I think are most likely to go. I think there's almost no chance. PCA or Horton goes anywhere. And I'd be really surprised if if, if Casey went somewhere, because I, I do think that the Cubs are high on him um, and, and see him as a more likely contributor in, in the nearer future than Alcantara. That's why he's always been a level ahead, despite being the same age. Um, so I think Alcantara is the best prospect that they could likely move.
1: Alcantara, Brown, Triantos, and Canario. For Bo Bichette, I think that gets it done For Bichette
2: Was it Alcantara, Brown Alcantara, Brown, Triantos Canario No, because I'm not I'm like, I, I think if you put it in the trade machine thing, it's probably fine uh, But just optically, you can't make that trade Without getting one of PCA or Kate Horton You can't you Do You think do so? I, I think opti- optically, you absolutely can't We'll but, see how badly the Blue Jays want to trim Yeah, that's the thing, we'll see but optically, that would be a, a tough one to sell to the Canadian. Yeah. I'll tell you. I had too. I had Triantos, uh, I said,
1: James Triantos capitalized on the hot AFL. And then I said, two of the three of Mervis, BJ Murray, and Moises Ballesteros. <laughs> like, the, they're all just kind of the same thing moving forward, I feel like.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's there's a little bit of redundancy in there, but the system is great. And I think that's why they should make yeah. a deal, because they've got plenty of pieces uh, to work with here. Last question. This comes from Tyler Lewin, a long time listener. Great, great uh, questions. Always. Which organizations farm system surprised you the most this past season, whether that being organization or sorry, Oh, whether that be impressed or disappointing. Yeah. So I think, you know, you want to start on the positive or the negative. Let's start on the positive and then we'll end with the negative.
1: Um, is yours. Yeah. Boring answer from me. You were like, are we sure? And I was like, let's let's walk through, um, you know, individual by individual. So we're going to do this. Baltimore was the most surprising good organization. And we knew going into the year that they had the best farm system in baseball. Yeah, I can make the argument that their farm system was twice as good as anybody else now at the end of this year. And I'm going to ask you, like literally yes or no. Did this line for this player exceed your expectations? And I know that we both have pretty realistic expectations for guys in the minor leagues.
2: Yeah, I can Jordan- also remember, I love all these guys so much that I can remember exactly where I stood going into the year. So I'll be honest on these. So go ahead.
1: Jordan Westberg, 67 games hit 295 with a 940 OPS and AAA. That
2: exceeds your expectations, does it not? Yes, but that was, I'd say that was one of the most mar- like marginal ex- exceeding of my expectations. I've always okay. liked it. Jackson Holiday hit
1: 320 with a 940 OPS and got to AAA. Yeah, that definitely exceeded my expectations. (laughs) Colton Kowser in 87 games hit 300 with a 940 OPS.
2: That one I'm going to say slightly, but like, you know how much I love Kowser. He was a top 30 prospect for us going into the year, but still, yes. Like to a a degree, yes. Heston Kerstad got to the big leagues, hit 300 with a 900 OPS. Absolutely. He exceeded my expectations. Awesome. Still one of my favorite stories in some time.
1: Kobe Mayo played
2: 140 games, had a 970 OPS with 30 and 100. This has been a pro Mayo podcast, but I ain't going to pretend that I knew he was going to do that, especially with the struggles in double A at the end of last year. Um, He was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues, period. So absolutely uh, exceeded Uh, expectations.
1: A 19-year-old Samuel Basayo got to double A in 114 games, hit 315 with a 950 OPS. I knew he was a big ticket guy, barely had expectations for him going into the year. So, yeah, he exceeded them. Uh, Enrique Bradfield in his first 26 professional games, first 25 professional games, hit 290 with 25 bags. Yeah, I mean,
2: it was I would say it was like on par a little bit above, like, no power, like kind of what we thought. I didn't think they'd get Bradfield, though. So from that lens, like better system than we thought going into the year. We knew they'd be drafting either middle of the first round or later. I didn't think Bradfield would fall to them. Um, yeah. Are you done? Because there's a few other names that I think actually exceeded expectations. No, I've got I've got literally two more. Yeah, uh, Dylan go. Beavers, 119 games and an 850 OPS. I think, relatively speaking, he may have exceeded my expectations as much as anybody because yep. I, I saw him at the end of last year, and I didn't love what I saw I, 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 when he was with Aberdeen. I thought the swing was a little chaotic. Um, And then he comes out looking a lot smoother. We know how the Orioles develop these guys. I mean, to do what he did last year and with some speed, the power, like he may have exceeded my expectations outside of Jackson holiday being what he was as much as anybody
1: in the system. Um, Judd Fabian in 120 games had 24 homers and 31 bags that exceeded my expectations.
2: No doubt struggled in double, but I think what really put him over the top in terms of being a, a plus in this argument is that the defense is, is really good out there in center too. And that was a pleasant surprise. And then McDermott exceeded my expectations, No doubt. And then I Cade Povich statistically finished kind of eh, but I, I wouldn't say he exceeded expectations, but I thought he kind of met them. Um, and then I'm trying to remember if there's anybody else. But I mean, that's pretty much everybody exceeded expectations. Like nobody had
1: a disappointing year. Joey Ortiz in 88 games in AAA hit 320, had an 890 OPS. Connor Norby hit 290, hit 21 homers, drove in 92. Like nobody was below expectations. And almost everybody of the big ticket names exceeded expectations. Yeah, that surprised me because I was like, okay, some of these guys are going to falter. And nobody fucking did. Yeah, it,
2: it, I'm with you. So it sounded like at first I'm like the Orioles, but no, I'm with you. They they exceeded expectations in, in a lot of ways uh, with the way that they performed this year. Going just let's just knock both of out. out. was the disappointing one for you? Cleveland for
1: me. Um, I've always kind of had that soft spot for Cleveland, but there were a lot of guys that you kind of look at the season numbers and you're like, like it, it, you're better than this, buddy. Like George Valera, better than that. John Kentsi Noel, way better than that. I was expecting a big year from Angel Martinez. We did not get one. That Doug was McC- he was
2: he was one of the most disappointing, I think, in in, in the minor leagues this year for me, honestly.
1: Yeah. Martinez, I I was, you know, sold on him being a borderline top 100 guy. Doug Nikhazy and Tommy Mace, I thought were going to be a lot better than they were. Jose Tana, I thought was going to be better than he was. And he was fine, but I was expecting him to level up. Manzardo, kind of hurt. I know the narrative around Manzardo changed a little bit with that Savali deal. Noah Espino was really bad. I wish Cantillo's end of season numbers looked better. The only guys that really exceeded expectations coming into the year were Messick. Chase DeLauder
2: and breakout Brito. Like that's really it. And if you want to count like Tanner Bybee, you know, like, you know, Tanner Bybee doing what he did at the big league level, but no, I'm with you. I mean, it was pretty much disappointment across the board. And Brito is a guy that they acquired that I I loved, you know, right out of the gate, but you know, Rokio didn't really do anything to change the perspective on him at all either. Right. Like it just, just kind of more of the same. Yeah, I thought they were disappointing in a lot of ways, and especially because the the arms, you know, you're always kind of waiting for that that next guardian's arm to to come up and make make a difference. And you know, some of that's out of their control. The Espino stuff is as, as unfortunate as it gets, you know. And then yeah. I'm hoping he comes back to be you know, anything close to to what he was. And it was encouraging, you know, whether it was procedural or not, that they added him to the forty man um, just because. You know, that that means that they still have some hope there. Um, But, you know, we'll we'll see how he comes back from that from that shoulder, you know, scope or or whatever they ended up having to do there. But Valero was he finished strong. So, I mean, that was that was a positive. He was coming off of an injury. So you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. But that doesn't really matter. We're talking about the end of season performances of all these players. It was a net disappointment um, for for him as well. And and, and for the team, you know, for the organization overall, uh, almost all of them were a disappointment yeah and we fully graduated logan allen gavin
1: williams and and bobby from that so it's like i'm i'm sort of kind of not really factoring them yeah. in um if i truly factored them in as prospects and you know kind of helping the organization like okay that that lowers the disappointment for sure but the guys especially the bats that i was expecting to take big leaps just did not take
2: big leaps with you and, and for me uh one of the more pleasant surprises was was uh the houston astros um, mm-hmm. I know that so a couple of the guys aren't with the system anymore, but that almost is part of the point uh, that they were able to you know, put together some packages uh, that could go get them a, you know, Justin Verlander. Uh, the fact that Drew Gilbert was as good as he was and, you know, he was a first round pick. There's a lot to like, but just really turned into a nice piece. The fact that they were able to turn Ryan Clifford into a piece to get a Hall of Fame starter a lot like a like a Justin Verlander. Clifford was awesome uh, with the power that we saw. Jacob Melton is a top 100 prospect for us. That's a dude that you know wasn't even drafted in the first round by them and, and just looks like he could be tooled out and really fun. Luis Baez, international free agent, top 100 guy for us as well, uh, just really showed out in his age 18, 19 season. I'm really excited about him. Uh, how about Zach? Denzenzo. I he was awesome this year and had a really, really strong campaign and has turned himself into a, a borderline top 100 prospect. I think pros, to baseball prospectus has him you know, in their top 50. Joey Perfito looks like a big league piece for them and had a wonderful season. Colton Gordon, a good arm that I actually really like. Uh, I thought they had a lot of guys put together good seasons. And I know that this isn't a great farm system, but... I thought it was arguably the worst in baseball and they were able to go get some major pieces and they also have some major pieces still uh, within their system. Kennedy Corona, a really underrated piece. They ended up being so impressed by they added him to the 40 man in in the outfield. So I I thought that this system was uh, really impressive. All things considered this year, because there was not really anybody that people were very excited about going into the season. Uh, So I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely was pleasantly surprised by what they were able to do this year.
1: Bad In team tr- disappointer?
2: Yeah, I I was trying to think about it because like I, I bounce around a little bit. The, the Giants are kind of perpetual disappointment for me. Um, uh, but I do think that system has has improved a lot um through the drafting recently, although we're kind of waiting to see what those guys can do. Um, you know, Harrison eh, it was it was an up and down year, Marco Luciano up and down year. Wizenhunt Hunt ends up getting hurt after looking so good out of the gate. Um, uh, you know, Walker Martin, we didn't see yet Arias was only at the DSL McRae still at the lower levels, Reggie Crawford. We barely saw, uh, we've had certain guys kind of disappear into the oblivion, like a will Bednar, uh, Von Brown flopped in a big way. That was a guy that, you know, we were concerned about the age and considering that he was playing at the lower levels and dominating, but still people were excited about him. He flopped Jairo Pomares, a name that had some intrigue. He flopped Averson Artiaga, I'm still interested in him and I still think he's really solid but he disappointed overall uh Carson Seymour didn't quite have the year that we were expecting him to have like there was a lot of disappointment across the board I felt like uh in the system is that that's been the case for the last couple years uh with this giant system um so I think they could be a candidate is is that a fair one yeah I think so um I
1: 2022 I feel like 2022 was the one that really kind of dinged their stock. Yeah. And then 2023 was residual. They were already low. So if you had any, you know, high regard for the Giants as a system, um, that that should be, I don't want to say all but gone, but, you know, they, they should be looked at as a mid-level system and not a top-level system. When coming into 22, they were looked at a, as, you know, maybe a top-five system in the game.
2: Yeah, because I was just trying to think of another team because I, I was with you on the Guardians. I thought they were the, the most disappointing. I, I don't know if there's another ball club that that really which stood is out good to me. <laughs> like yeah. we prefer non-disappointing like the, the marlins i had no expectations you know yeah. like you could say the marlins though I, I think the marlins would probably be an acceptable answer considering how bad jacob barry was how disappointing giddy Cape was somebody that had some top 100 you know uh smoke going into the year not by us but by some others uh jacob miller the recently drafted over second round guy you know Really disappointed uh, on the mound. Dax Fulton gets hurt again. Um, Victor Mesa Jr. was solid, but that was ended up being one of their best position player prospects. Like uh, Jose Gerardo, who was one of their most intriguing DSL guys, struggled. Joe Mack flopped pretty badly, uh, who was their top catching prospect. Paul McIntosh, who was kind of their breakout guy last year, couldn't stay healthy, really struggled. I think you can make the case that th- those guys and in, in this system, Ian Lewis, somebody that a lot of people were interested in, did not have a good year. I think you could say the Marlins farm system was was easily the the most disappointing. Max Meyer doesn't come back. You know, still hurt. Um, I, I think you could probably put put the Marlins there too. Yep. Real quick now, let's do uh, some Bowman draft. So Bowman draft will be releasing in mid December. So if you're wondering what to put on your Christmas list, that is definitely something I will be, we're hoping to do some like box rips and stuff like that. So definitely subscribe to the YouTube, hang out with us. We'll be doing some stuff uh, with, with Bowman draft once that comes out, but I want to talk about some of these autographs, um, especially the the top autographs. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do different segments every week. We're going to do, you know, top overall autographs today. We're going to be doing top autographs to chase outside of the first round, top pitcher autos for you psychos out there like Jack that like to collect pitchers uh, and, and things like that. So. We're going to draft it. So we're going to go back and forth, five picks each and just kind of quick couple sentences on why we are going to be chasing this player in the product. You might have somebody else that you like more. There might be guys that are going to sell for more money in break spots or whatever it may be. Sure. Yep. We're here to tell you the guys that we are most interested in and we would collect if we were you. So yeah. without further delay, I'll give you the first pick. So we, so it's nice and easy for you all right easy um
1: the way that we kind of want to look at this is we're sitting there and on a table every single auto is out there and it's hey you guys are going to snake it back and forth like grab an auto put it in your pocket or (laughs) don't put it in your pocket like obviously put it in the lamination right Yeah, put it in the sleeve and then put it it in in the sleeve yeah so it's like they're all sitting in front of you which one are you grabbing first you're taking turns uh, for me, it's Langford. <laughs> Wyatt Langford has to be my first pick. I, this guy, as soon as he hits the market, this is going to be a gaudy number. A gaudy wait. number. He's going to the it, chance. and I'm immediately going to put it on eBay. Yeah, and I know the price is going to be sky high, so it, it has to be Wyatt Langford for me.
2: That's what sucks. Is like, I think the chase is going to be so crazy for Wyatt Lankford. It's going to be fun though. I, it, like there's nothing more fun when there's that name that everybody is going after, but it, there's going to be one of those where it's like hard to justify holding on to it because of how insane the chase is going to be for a while. And that's Lankford.
1: why I'm grabbing him. It's like, I'm going to grab it. And that immediately becomes my most precious commodity. In this yes.
2: Market. And, and you could justify holding it too, because I mean, it, it's insane how, how good he looked last year. And that, the fact that he can potentially break in, On opening day for the defending champions like what like that's insane so he will be the biggest chase and and if you're wondering why we skip over some names it's because these are the names that have autographs in the set so dylan cruz signed a deal with another card company he's not in this product so that's why he's not going to be the next pick for me i was going back and forth here because you know, you could go with a, a Max Clark. You could go with a Paul Skeens. I know people don't like pitchers, but when you have that, you know, generational pitching prospect, yeah. I don't know if he's quite that, but he's close. Um, there's going to be plenty of people excited about Paul Skeens cards. I can tell you that a whole buck, the, the, the pitcher trend. So I think for that reason, I'm going to take Skeens just because I think that's somebody that. And it's, I think it's more like, I just don't want to wait for, for Max Clark. It's going to take a while. And I think Clark's going to be a popular chase because of the social media stuff. And, you know, he was all, also right there as a number, what three pick, but I just feel like from that lens, it's, I want the guy that's going to be the bigs pretty quick, has a lot of, you know, buzz and excitement. And, you know, I think I can kind of realize the excitement of that card a little bit quicker. Um yep. and, and. I don't really want to wait for the ups and downs of a, of a Max Clark, potentially, who did struggle in low A a little bit last year. I think we'll be a great player, uh, but just so much further off. So I go Skeens, too. I'm going with the big name. OK, do you want three? Because I'm stunned that this guy is falling
1: to three. You can go right ahead. Are you sure? Yeah, this is skewing in my favor because I had the first pick. Yeah, it's OK. Okay. Bryce Eldridge.
2: I'm taking out Ah, you did it. You did it. You 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 dirty dog.
1: Yeah, I know. Like I'm stunned that you didn't take him too, because this is the most realistic shot that we have at a two-way guy.
2: Yeah. I, I'm taking I, I thought that. he'd fall to me. I'll be honest. I thought I thought he was gonna fall to me. So nope. I think we're gonna I don't think he's gonna be that popular of a name. Like in terms of I think he will be popular, but I think it's gonna take a little bit of time for people to realize how exciting of a of a chase he is. Because we talked about the Giants farm system. I think he, and you just mentioned it way higher chance of being a two-way player. And he is the best shot that we have at being a legitimate two-way player in major league baseball moving forward. It might take a little bit more time, but I like Eldridge a little bit more than maybe chasing a max Clark. Cause again, you also have to think about what, what is it going to turn into with Clark? And I'm I'm saying all these things and I'm going to end up taking them very soon here, yeah. but I love the Eldridge pick because, if I'm collecting a player, I want some novelty. I want some uniqueness. I want something to dream on here. And yeah, like you mentioned, you're dreaming on a power bat that could be a middle rotation arm. <laughs> like, that's going to be someone that everybody wants to collect. Can you imagine a guy gets up there and he's the second two-way guy and there's a non-zero chance that he could be a two-way guy with Shohei on his team. And they could be double two-way guys. Like there could be something so insane about that. I don't think that Eldridge is going to be a super popular chase out of the gate, because I think some people still believe that Reggie Crawford is the better two-way prospect in his own organization, which I would say is not correct. Um, But it'll it'll come around and I think a lot of people listening to the pod will probably subscribe to this and 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 be heavy on the Eldridge uh you know bandwagon I'll tell you I will be chasing his autos hard uh when when it comes to this uh product so um I loved that Eldridge pick I'm gonna have to go max Clark now just because he's too high of a, of a draft pick and he's uh you know just just too dynamic and and explosive and exciting and also comes with so much fanfare and all that good stuff um all the reasons why before, you know, we didn't take him earlier. I think a lot of people are going to be chasing Clark right behind Lankford. Um, and I, I get it. Um, but, you know, Clark's probably a guy that I'm pulling and selling, to be honest, and, and buying more product and, you know, just having fun and ripping more uh, because, yeah. you know, Clark's definitely a, an exciting pull, um, and it'll be a very valuable pull, uh, but definitely not someone that I'm like looking to hold or buy or, you know, just that I want to have a, a giant personal collection of. Um, You know, I'd rather have the Eldridge's of the world, but I can tell you, if you pull one of each and go to sell them immediately, you're going to get more from the Max Clark. Yep. I think so So This is where I I start to get a little creative um, because
1: I think those were the consensus top four. I'm going like down the board, I think, but at five, I'm going Colt Emerson with the Seattle Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I have to. This guy hit, what, 350 in his first 28 pro games. He was eight for eight in the stolen base department, OPS well over a thousand. I mean, this guy has like Cole Young type trajectory, maybe better than Cole Young type trajectory. So uh, I'm taking a guy that's going to be considered a top five shortstop prospect in baseball
2: in due time. And Cole Young's already become one of the biggest chases in his product. And he wasn't out of the gate. I can promise you that. And now he is, I mean, when I was at the national, I was trying to pick some up and I couldn't believe what, what, you know, he was already going for. Um, And I think Emerson, you you mentioned it. Young, one of the youngest guys in the class, but someone that will climb pretty quickly. And and if you include the playoff games, which is, I think should count. Yeah. Won't show up on baseball reference. He hit 391. Damn. With a 1055 OPS because 30 games. In his four playoff games, he had 5, 7, 11 hits in 28 games. That's just ridiculous. 11 so, hits in four games. Yeah, in uh, four games. Yeah. Yeah. 11 hits in four games. Just Eight. just insane. I love the swing. I think the bat speed is really impressive already for a newly turned 18-year-old. Uh, we've seen exit velocities as high as 109 already. Like He can hit the ball. That's a guy that... I am holding, too, though. I'm pulling and I'm personal collection holding uh, because Ooh. they ID these guys so well. And I think it's Cole Cloth with more upside. I think you you hit the nail on the head there. I'm going to go with Matt Shaw now. Um, yeah, and, and if he's playing second base, I know people don't love to collect like second baseman or whatever it may be. But I, I don't really care because I think Matt Shaw, there's a world where he can hit 30 home runs and steal 20 backs. And that is very fun. In a big market like Colorado or like like, uh, Chicago, I I just I think this guy is just special in terms of what he can do with the bat. Contact rates are so strong, Um, the power is legit, and he can motor a little bit. He's fun. He's he's a really well-rounded ball player. Um, If the glove can come along and he could stick it short, that would be awesome. I am not counting on it, but regardless, I'll take a bat that could be in the big leagues as soon as next year. They're fast tracking him. Um, And, and he could be a contributor for the Cubs as they hit their competitive window. Uh, And, and that's why I think Triantos we talked about could be available in trades clear the way for Shaw a little bit. He could end up playing one of these spots here in the infield, or they'll try to find a spot for him. Eventually Uh, what he did this past season to, to get to double a, to perform the way he did in double a, I just think he's an easy, safe uh guy to to PC. And I also just really like the swing. It's a personal favorite. Um, so top 50 prospects for us. He'll he'll be in my personal collection.
1: Okay. Chase, uh, number seven. I have the seventh pick in this out of 10. Um, I love the organization that he's in. I love the talent. There's so much to dream on. He's sticking in center field. Dylan head of the San Diego Padres. You're you're being a shithead, man. High OBP, top of the order, going to steal a billion bases. I can't like not realistically, but I I can dream on the major league leader in stolen bases here. I can dream on a 60 to 70 stolen base season from Dylan Head. And I'm buying that.
2: I mean, he's, he's a top 100 prospect for us for a reason. A Late first round pick immediately in the top 100 list. That shows you where he would have been on our big board. Um, he was probably a top 15 guy on our big board to have that kind of speed. Also, I think people really underestimate the field to hit. It, it, he can and he actually has some sneaky impact. So I head is another one where I'm looking at. Probably a name that's overlooked, probably a name that people aren't collecting in, in, in bunches. That I'm going to be scooping up left and right. That's why I love these segments. It's really fun to talk about. But I'm like, I'm hurting myself right now. Uh, I'm 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 putting other people onto the same thing I'm going to be attacking. But no, I'm 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 really excited to to go get some of his cards because while maybe a little bit of a slower burn through the minors, so fun, so dynamic, and an organization that you mentioned just IDs and develops the the hit tool guys and ends up finding a little bit more in there like a Merrill. And I think he's kind of cut from a similar cloth there and is going to be a, a very exciting prospect soon. Also, just, just to mention, cause we're going to talk about best like team draft classes is one of the segments too. Like you could buy a Padre spot. If you really hoping hoping for Dylan head, you get a Homer Bush, who is her third round pick. Homer mm-hmm. Bush was awesome in his pro mm-hmm. debut really fun. Um, Like that's where I love certain team spots and breaks and stuff where like, even if you don't get your option one, Oh, I'm not pissed that I got option two. I remember when I was chasing uh, Cowser, I ended up with a bunch of Norbies. Oh no! Like that's great, you know. So I was like, "All right, worst case scenario, I got some Norbies." Um, we'll be doing more on like the the under the radar names that you should be uh, attacking very very soon. We're at pick eight here. Uh, pick eight. Pick eight. There's a few different directions I'm gonna I could go here, but I'm gonna go mariner again and this was a recent epiphany that i had uh, because i was looking at a video that was put on milb central uh chase does a great job with that account he had an open side swing of ty pete and ty pete is going to be nasty mariners pick in the comp round comp comp a dude that explosiveness and that twitch but also so controlled that's a really fun swing. He's a crazy athlete. He's a super fun personality as well. Uh, he was on the Marine layer podcast, our Mariners pod. Mm -hmm. He likes to edit videos. Like he's a cool guy. I'm I'm like, this guy's going to be his own hype machine. Um, so I'm all in on Ty Pete. I think he's really fun. I love that pick by the Mariners. Uh, and, and I think he's going to be somebody that, uh, there might be some growing pains, but really fun and, and could be a, a very impactful and dynamic middle infielder. So and a fun name that does matter more than you think. People remember that, oh, I got to get the Ty Pete card. Uh so yep. I think Ty Pete's definitely one that people should be looking at. Yeah. Uh preconceived notion here with number
1: 9 like I think there's a lot of recognition for this guy and I think that's going to up his price a little bit. I also think the stolen bases are going to up his price. Um I'm taking Enrique Bradfield at 9. I, I do think that Bradfield is going to be um, I don't know the card market as well as you do, but I do know if I showed up at a convention and I saw Enrique Bradfield auto at a decent price point, yeah. I'm buying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, 26 stolen bases in his first 25 pro games. If this guy gets on first, he's gonna be standing at second within three pitches. Like yeah. that, that's how he functions. And I don't know how much, you know, power there is in there, if there's any. Frankly, I don't care with this ninth pick. Um, I,
2: I feel pretty comfortable in, in taking Bradfield. I, I like that because he's a high probability big leaguer too. Like again, if he doesn't turn into an all star, if you're pcing a player, and you know, I, I go through my my drawer sometimes and I see some autos of like guys now that I've been doing this long enough to where like they're out of the league. They're like, they're not even an affiliated ball anymore, and it's like, oh, yeah. what am I going to do with this? Like even if he's a Average big leaguer. It's like you could sell it eventually. Or it's just like, okay, I have this cool autograph of, you know, uh, an everyday baseball player. Like even if he's Trent Grisham, like at least it's a big, it's a big leaguer. Like you're not gonna just yep. fully like I collected a guy that is selling insurance now. So I, I think Bradfield, like there's a zero percent chance that happens. So yeah. I, I like that scoop. And I kind of on that similar point, I, I couldn't let and I there's some other names I really like. I like Ralphie Velasquez, I like some of the other high school guys, but I already went high school heavy. I'm gonna go Tommy Troy. Tommy okay. Troy's got one of the best fields to hit, like one of the best feel to hit guys in that entire draft class. And I just love the energy in Arizona. I think, you know, him being part of a team that's going to be good for a long time. He's a guy that's going to climb quickly. He didn't have the pro debut that everybody was hoping. So I think he kind of slid under the radar, but he also wasn't bad. Uh, I think plus hit uh, sneaky, I think sneaky pop, a uh, good athlete, fun player, uh, and, and again, I just, I really like how he fits into the diamondbacks future plans. There's a reason why they picked him on, on that shorter timeline. I think he's going to be fast tracked. I'm a big Tommy Troy fan. And and that's a card that you could do it. a legend as well in the Cape Cod league. So, uh, I, that's, that's another PC guy. I'm definitely going to be just scooping up and holding on to, um, just cause I've been a fan of his, even uh, from his time at Stanford, just a, just a satisfying player to watch hit and do his thing.
1: Yeah, uh, notable omission from the Bowman draft list. You mentioned no Cruz, also no Arjun Namala. I feel like Namala would have made this list if he was in there. But um, that's it for the top 10. Two guys that I had on my top 11 board um, that didn't go picked were Ralphie Velasquez, like you mentioned, the Guardians. Uh, And then Chase Davis with St. Louis, I'm still somewhat fascinated by. No homers in his first taste of pro ball was interesting to me, considering he hit... 18 is sophomore year and then 21 is junior year. I was like, where's the juice? But he drove in 23 uh, in 34 games. So I don't know, like that, that's a guy that I'll be in. I'll, I'll be glued to the start of his 2024 season. Oh, I no will say doubt.
2: that. No doubt. And that's, that's a card that definitely I'm not upset if I pull, right? If that's the auto right. I get, it's like, oh, nice. Right. You know, there's some autos where I'm like, duh, like, damn it. But yeah, that's when we're like, okay, I'm holding. Let's see how he does, you know, at the start of the year, because uh, he's a data darling. A lot of people like him. We'll see if he can build on what was kind of an iffy start. A lot of other names that we're interested in, we're going to be talking about those guys uh, in the next episode as kind of players outside of the first round that we're interested in. One other name that I think could have been easily interchangeable with Tommy Troy is Brayden Taylor. Uh, yeah. Taylor's just a, I, I like the bat a lot, um, but I think Troy's just a little bit safer and I like the team situation a little bit more. Um, Just considering how the Rays always seem to stockpile all of these infielders and block guys and just stash them in the upper minors. So uh, that's kind of where things settle there. The link, if you want to see the full kind of checklist is in the episode description. So go check that out. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for such great questions. And we will be talking a bunch of different things. We might do a redraft soon. We're going to do kind of disappointments, biggest surprises, a lot of different fun topics as we move forward. And then a couple more player interviews to look forward to as well. If you could leave a rating, help us grow the show would really appreciate it and subscribe to the YouTube. Keep an eye out. We're going to be doing a little bit more on the breakdowns on the Just Baseball side of like Jung-Hoo Lee and Shota Imanaga and all that good stuff. Short form YouTube dives on the Just Baseball YouTube. So go subscribe there. And then some more on this side as well. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you later this week.